I had the privilege of talking with Lachlan Kent last weekend. Lachlan is a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Melbourne, and I really enjoyed our conversation. His paper, called Time Consciousness, The Missing Link in Theories of Consciousness, was the major source for my previous episode. We talked about the window of time and how contents are temporally nested. We talked about the dispute between integrated information theory and global neuronal workspace. We talked about relativity. He and I may collaborate on something in the near future. Before our meeting, I read his paper in full in order to be prepared, and I discovered to my delight that I was wrong about something in last week's episode. I told you that my theory, the TICL, was not mentioned in the paper. As I was reading it more carefully this time, I encountered a sentence which, uh, which referred to recent proposals that share the author's concern with IIT's treatment of time as discrete rather than continuous. The reference? Winters 2020. I had to read that again. Wait, I thought. That's me. I'm still early in my career, especially in the consciousness field, so that kind of thing is exciting to me. Thanks for the reference, Lachlan. In the previous episode, I first gave mention to the Temporospatial Theory of Consciousness, or TTC. I was reading about this framework before getting on the Zoom call with Lachlan this past weekend, and I could immediately see the parallels in thinking between the TTC and my own framework, the Temporally Integrated Causality Landscape, or TICL. In this episode, I will attempt to describe TTC to you as simply as I can manage. Keep in mind, I'm just learning about this theory myself, and I hope to determine how the TICL compares to this theory, at least in broad terms. TTC is described in a 2017 paper by Northoff and Huang titled, How do the brain's time and space mediate consciousness in its different dimensions? The Temporospatial Theory of Consciousness, TTC. Right away, this has got my attention. My goal is to determine the relationship between the physical universe and the conscious mind. Thinking of consciousness in terms of time and space is a respectable start. Northoff and Huang break consciousness down into four dimensions. They don't mean spatial dimensions or anything that abstract. They really mean four aspects of consciousness that need to be explained in a comprehensive theory. These dimensions are one, the level or state of consciousness, two, the content or form of consciousness, three, phenomenology or experience, and four, cognitive processing or reporting. Entering into the paper, I'm not convinced that these four dimensions could not be further reduced, but they do mean something specific that could be important to distinguish and explain. Remember that in the TICL, consciousness is an emergent property of the thalamocortical system, which occurs when the cortex is in a state of integrated functionality during wakefulness and dreaming sleep. The entire integrated portion of the thalamocortex is referred to in the TICL simply as the system. This system has some level of temporally integrated causality across all of its neuronal elements. This means that any element in the system has some level of causal power on any other element over some time frame, probably within about one second. Direct connections between neurons in the system have much faster and stronger influences than indirect, long-range connections do. Okay, so that's the system. Within the system, there are groups of neuronal elements which, at any given time, have a higher degree of temporally integrated causality, TIC, among themselves than they do with the whole system. These form peaks of activity upon the landscape of the system. I call them subsystems. The system experiences the dynamic activities of the subsystems within it in the form of contents. The contents of consciousness have meaning 
They're composed of qualia. Cognitive functions in the brain, such as attention and memory, make a difference to the contents of consciousness, as we all know, but they do so necessarily by influencing the neuronal elements in the system. According to the TICL, the system provides the point of view upon the subsystems within it. Accordingly, the conscious mind is the thing within which phenomenal contents occur. So let's take a look at these four dimensions described by Northoff and Huang and see if we can understand their proposed solution. Dimension one, the level or state of consciousness, refers to the spontaneous activity of neurons in the thalamocortex. According to the authors, by means of temporospatial nestedness, this spontaneous activity corresponds to the neural predisposition of consciousness. So in this state, the brain is activated and awake, and it is capable of becoming conscious of a stimulus if it is presented. Northoff and Huang write, quote, both temporospatial nestedness and dynamic repertoire concern the necessary conditions of the possibility level or state of consciousness rather than its actual manifestation. They are thus neural predispositions of the level or state of consciousness. Taken altogether, we suppose that the level or state of consciousness is based on the integration of different temporal and spatial ranges, which thereby allow for what is described as temporal continuity or subjective feeling of continuity across different temporal and spatial scales." Unquote. This description accords very well with the system in my framework. When we are conscious, the system exists because a large number of neurons are causally integrated in time. This is a necessary prerequisite for any subsystem to emerge and produce content. They refer to temporospatial nestedness. My framework requires that subsystems be spatially and temporally nested within the system in order to produce content. So TCC and TICL are in nice agreement on dimension one. Dimension two, the content or form of consciousness refers to the reaching of threshold for a piece of content. The question of whether a stimulus will be consciously perceived. Northoff and Huang claim that temporospatial alignment must occur between a stimulus and the brain's spontaneous activity in order for it to become conscious. They write, quote, The temporal alignment to single stimuli, as in phase preference, allows to bind and align the single stimuli to the ongoing spontaneous activity of the brain. Such binding between stimulus and neural activity is dependent upon the degree of temporal correspondence between stimulus and spontaneous activity's phase cycles. The timing of the stimulus must fit or correspond to the timing of the ongoing phase cycle in the spontaneous activity. Hence, we consider temporal correspondence between phase timing and stimulus onset with subsequent phase preference an enabling condition or neural prerequisite of the contents of consciousness." Unquote. This idea of alignment is interesting. They point to experiments with near-threshold auditory stimuli in which subjects report hearing the stimulus during peak but not trough background activity. This implies that the alignment of a stimulus in space and time with background neuronal dynamics determines whether a threshold for conscious perception is achieved. In the TICL, a subsystem is defined as having a higher degree of integrated causality over a shorter time relative to the whole system. And content will be perceived in accordance with the subsystem's occurrence. In the case in question, TTC notes that whether a stimulus produces content is determined by the stimulus's amplitude of activity. So when you use near-threshold auditory stimuli, you are referring to sounds being presented at the very cusp of perception, where the subject may or may not hear it on a given trial. Under those conditions, the alignment with background activity could determine whether the stimulus is heard. 
To me, this is a question of whether the stimulus is sufficient to produce a subsystem. If it is, then it will be heard. If not, then it won't. Important to the TICL is the idea of background noise. According to my framework, neuronal activities in the system that do not form a subsystem, which is to say they do not achieve a high enough degree of temporally integrated causality among themselves, will be buried in the background noise and remain unconscious. In TTC, they call this threshold achievability the neural prerequisite of consciousness. What they mean is that the background dynamics will determine whether or not a stimulus will produce conscious content. I think these ideas are very close between the two theories. Dimension 3 refers to the phenomenology or experience which occurs when a stimulus becomes consciously perceived. They say this is early stimulus-induced activity which corresponds to spatial-temporal expansion and is the neural correlate of consciousness for a piece of content. Northoff and Huang write, quote, We so far discussed that the temporospatial nestedness of the brain's spontaneous activity provides a neural predisposition of the level or state of consciousness. The temporospatial alignment of the brain's spontaneous and or pre-stimulus activity to single stimuli and long-term stimulus sequences in our body and the world is considered as a neural prerequisite of consciousness, pre-NCC. This leaves open the neural correlates of consciousness, NCC, the neural mechanisms that are sufficient to associate specific contents with consciousness. That shall be the focus of the following. How is the stimulus processed in neural terms such that it can be associated with consciousness? The data showed that the amplitude of stimulus-evoked neural activity can be considered a marker of consciousness. The higher the amplitude in response to the stimulus, the more likely the stimulus will be associated with consciousness. In addition, various lines of data showed that compared to unconscious processing, stimulus-induced activity during consciousness lasts longer and is spatially more extended." Unquote. Here the authors refer to the experiments by Marcello Massimini and colleagues that I enthusiastically told you about in one of my earliest episodes. That was the study in which they used transcranial magnetic stimulation to activate a local target in the cortex, and they used EEG to measure the effect at various locations of cortex, near the stimulus and far from the stimulus. They did this in conscious and in non-conscious subjects. In consciousness, the stimulus carried major effects at all cortical locations. But in non-conscious subjects, only the local area of cortex showed a strong effect in the EEG. This result is interpreted a little differently in IIT than it is in TTC. It looks to me like these theories are pointing to similar facts about the conscious brain, though. This is really interesting. They call this phenomenon in TTC temporospatial expansion. This means that stimulus spread its activity throughout the whole system. Thus, the whole integrated system is affected by it. If the system is not integrated, as it is not when we are under general anesthesia, then this expansion fails to take place. I did not explicitly deal with this in, the, in my presentation of the TICL, but it implies that a subsystem must be integrated with the rest of the system in order to produce its content, and the TICL firmly suggests the same. This is because the system is the point of view to which the subsystem presents content. Finally, dimension four is cognitive processing and report. This corresponds to late stimulus-induced activity which occurs once we are in a position to name what we have seen or heard and to report upon it. Of course there is something more which must occur in the brain for us to go from perceiving something to recognizing and conveying that we have perceived it. According to TTC, this occurs with temporospatial globalization and amounts to the neural consequence of consciousness. Northoff and Huang write, quote, 
How can we investigate and operationalize consciousness? The traditional way is to ask subjects whether they see or hear something and thus to make a judgment. This has recently been described as a report paradigm. However, the judgment or report itself may introduce a cognitive component that may not belong to consciousness per se. The neural mechanisms underlying such judgment or report must may thus be a neural consequence rather than neural correlate of consciousness. Therefore, report paradigms have been contrasted with no report paradigms where the subjects do not need to report or give a judgment. No report paradigms reveal different spatial and temporal patterns than report paradigms. Several studies demonstrated that early components of stimulus-induced activity around 100 milliseconds to 200 or 300 milliseconds indicate that the presence and experience of a specific content in consciousness even if that the very same content may not yet be accessible for subsequent reporting. The central role of these electrophysiological markers of early stimulus-induced activity, like N100, are reduced if not abolished in altered states of consciousness like anesthesia, slow-wave sleep, and vegetative state. How about the spatial side? Report paradigms show extensive involvement of especially the lateral prefrontal and parietal cortical regions. In contrast, no report paradigms do not show prefrontal parietal recruitment, but rather posterior cortical regions at the interface between parietal, occipital, and temporal cortex described as hot zones." Unquote. This component of post-consciousness reporting is not explicitly addressed in the TICL. The reason for this is that reporting what one experiences is a capacity in addition to consciousness. The TICL is focused on consciousness itself, this is why we refer to consciousness and cognition, because neither term subsumes the other. In my opinion, there are really only two dimensions to consciousness that are fundamental. These are dimensions one and three of the Northoff and Huang paradigm. They amount to the system and its subsystems for the TICL. If the thalamocortex is in a state of consciousness and a set of neuronal elements produce a high enough level of temporally integrated causality to produce a subsystem, then content will occur from the point of view of the system itself. You can't have one without the other. Consciousness and its contents are two sides of the same coin. The four-dimensional paradigm does have value, though. The authors follow the brain's response to stimuli, its interactions with the world beginning prior to stimulus, through establishing threshold and becoming conscious, and on to the cognitive consequences which follow upon it. My approach has been to focus entirely on the fundamentals of consciousness itself. This means that I am directing my efforts at the problem straight. But it also means I may be missing some important neural mechanisms. All told, I really like the temporospatial theory of consciousness. I think the TTC is fully compatible with my theory. I was unaware of it when I developed the TICL, and I think the theories and their proponents can help each other to improve our frameworks. I want to thank Lachlan Kent for introducing it to me. The TTC is one of the most exciting developments in my endeavor on this podcast. Northoff and Huang asked the question, how does the brain construct its own intrinsic time and space? These guys are all right with me. It is evident that we exist in objective time and space. These are geometric concepts, and you and I each have our own positions within space and time from which to make our perspective but we cannot bear witness to objective space and time. Rather, consciousness has its own intrinsic space and time, which serves as the world which is actually manifest to us. We have no direct knowledge of that external space and time which the laws of physics speak of. There is another space and time, the one we know. 
that exists within us rather than us having position within it. The mistake is in looking around us at all that we see and taking conviction that it is out there and we are in here. All that we see, all that is known to us by the senses, all that exists in space and time as we truly know them is happening inside of us. Looking in the mirror, we can only infer the true nature of what is reflected. But we must not confuse the reflection with its source. All this in consciousness is but a reflection. 